Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, Ryan Fowler, and I know these last four or five episodes or so, hope you guys have been enjoying the NFL Draft Prospect Interview Series that I've been providing for you guys for the last week or so, and we got a lot more interviews scheduled here over these next few weeks as we head into the Scouting Combine and, of course, into the spring and towards the 2024 NFL Draft. But today, I wanted to turn my focus back to the Washington Commanders, and I wanted to get into a seven-round mock for you guys. I know mock draft season for some people is enjoyable. Every single day you're pumping out mocks, you're using different websites to get it going, and also for you guys to to get a gist of who the players are, who are on offense and defense, not just at quarterback and receiver and edge rusher, but who are the day three linebackers to know, or day three running backs, or nickel corners that are going to be taken in the fourth or fifth round to come in and play and also provide some special teams pop as well. So today I'm going to get in to, again, a a seven-round mock draft for the Washington Commanders, where I am at post-Shrine, post-Senior Bowl, workouts are kicking off, a lot of conversations being had with players and agents and scouts and personnel as far as how these boards are shaking out. Now, in Washington... If you guys were here with me last year, we talked about how Eric Bieniemy threw a wrench a little bit into the draft process and free agency process because you didn't know exactly where they wanted to go. Now you got a new GM in Adam Peters, a new head coach in Dan Quinn. Cliff Kingsbury's running the damn offense. You bring in Joe Witt Jr. to run the defense, and positional coaches and assistants are being hired seemingly every single day to completely revamp this staff. And everybody has differentiating opinions on the type of ball players that they want to have. We will see exactly what Washington wants to do on offense and on defense. Now, you look back over history, specifically with what Kingsbury's done on offense and what Quinn and Witt did in Dallas together, and the types of ball players that fit, fit the scheme, not pigeonholing right a, a square peg into a round hole, not trying to do that, which we saw in year one of Emmanuel Forbes inside the Jack Del Rio, Ron Rivera defense, which was a joke. But I'm excited to see, specifically for Forbes in this defense, to where I do expect him to play a lot of zone and work downhill to where he was best, to where he played that in the SEC for multitude of years. And you saw the instincts and you saw the ball skills. This is exactly why they took Forbes last year. But now with a completely new regime in town, anything is possible as far as what this team is going to do. Now, I ran this mock draft via PFF, Pro Football Focus. They do a great job with their mock draft machine. Love going in there. It's very smooth. The interface is awesome to use. And for you guys out there that aren't familiar with the players, it gives you a gist of just click on them and find out even just height, weights, where they played. And I know their grades, a lot of you guys maybe take their grades into account. The grades are, I'll keep those opinions for another time. Just turn on the film and really watch the players if you can. It don't need You don't need the all 22 from the school. 
There's a lot of stuff even on YouTube that you guys can go and look at. Say, oh, Graham Barton from Duke. Let me turn him on. Adisa Isaac from Penn State. Let me turn him on. And just check out these guys for five, six minutes and get a little bit of a gist of who these players are. So I want to get in to today's episode. Again, round one all the way to round seven for Washington and where I am currently on February 13th for this roster. And it starts at the top. And again, some of these picks, and I'll explain it as we go forward, some of these players flat out will not be here at their spots. But I'm really just trying to provide you guys a sense of where my mind is in that position, in that round of targeting those spots. And if that guy is there, then it's a home run selection, I think, in my opinion. I love this draft and how it worked out for me in the simulator. Now, it's me against the simulator. Obviously, I know more ball than the simulator just pumping out names, right? But overall, this is where I'm at with Washington as we sit here in mid-February. So first things first, with the second overall pick, Caleb Williams was available for me. Quarterback from USC. He is... For me, he's the second best player in this class behind Marvin Harrison Jr., wide receiver from Ohio State, who I think is going to be sensational wherever he goes. I think he's going to be a heavily featured target. I know a lot of you out there are already declaring him as a all-pro and an all-world, all-everything superstar talent. We can pull the reins back a little bit on every single guy in the top of this draft because they've yet to step on NFL-branded turf. But Caleb Williams, if he's there at two, whatever Chicago does. If they stay at one and they don't take Williams, we'll see. But in this scenario, in this simulation, Caleb Williams, again, from USC, grew up in Bowie, Maryland, went to Gonzaga High School, Gonzaga, Gonzaga College High School, excuse me, in, in the heart of D.C., just a few miles away from downtown D.C. in the White House. Why not keep him home? And you start fresh with the face of the franchise. The off-script playmaking arm talent is Herculean. It is, it is sensational. Now, winning inside of structure and playing that conservatory type of quarterback, the game manager role, is something he's going to have to work on. And I think he will, but all the talent fundamentally is there. I think he's got an immense, immensely high floor and immensely high ceiling. I think the ceiling is up there with Patrick Mahomes. I absolutely do. Now, I know you hear a lot of people say that, and when you hear Patrick Mahomes, you think, wow, that, that's, that's different. You're comparing him in some aspects to the best potentially ever to play. Depends on who you talk to. Um, after we just watched a couple days ago, Patrick Mahomes win another Super Bowl and he's not even 30 years old yet. But from a creativity perspective, from an arm talent perspective, outside of structure and what fits in today's game as far as creating plays, but with your arm, with your legs, pumping throws into condensed windows, throwing backside, off platform, again, every arm angle. Washington has the talent on the outside, headlined by McLaurin and Dotson. Bring back Curtis Samuel. We'll see. I'll talk about that in a minute. But Caleb Williams, if he's there at two, if Washington makes a move up to one, we'll see what they do in the top five picks. But if he's there at two, it's a home run selection. You make Caleb Williams the face of your franchise. Now we move back into the second round, the 36th overall selection, the pick that Washington got from the Chicago Bears trading for Montez Sweat at the trade deadline. And this is where they need to address the offensive line. Because as sexy a pick as Caleb Williams would be, just turn back to the Super Bowl of Tampa Bay, in Kansas City, and you can even watch the San Francisco game just a couple days ago to when Patrick Mahomes is running for his life at times. And I give credit to Steve Wilkes, defensive coordinator for the Niners, and what he did in the Super Bowl. And I also give credit way back to what Tampa Bay did when they made life hell for Patrick Mahomes. And what I mean by that is as talented as your quarterback can be, they have to have some correlation around them to where they, he's got to have just a little bit of time. And I know you guys heard me say it all year long. 
with the involvement of Sam Howell, where it was unfortunate where they were consistently in third and eights and third and nines, and they were chasing football games, but you gotta have just a little bit of time to read not only one or two progressions, but if you want to work into your third or fourth, and then maybe have the ability to tuck it and run before three guys are taking you down to the turf. So, with their first pick in the second round, which is really almost a first round pick, right? There's 32 overall selections in the first round. This isn't a year like last year where Miami forfeited their first round selection. So you got 32 picks. And at 36 overall, I'm taking Graham Barton. Tackle, guard, center versatile from Duke. And I would have loved to seen Graham Barton show up in Mobile at the Senior Bowl where he was initially accepted an invite, didn't show up. But his versatility, he lived out at tackle for the Duke Blue Devils. But his ability, and for scouts that I've talked to, they believe he's the top center in this class. Now, I think it's Jackson Powers Johnson, interior offensive lineman from Oregon. But when you have a guy that can play all three spots, and versatility remains king. But when you think about the versatility, you don't want to give up something to be a guard or a center or a tackle. What I mean by that is you don't want to be just a jack of all trades and be average at a lot of spots. I'd rather have a guy be tackle only and be elite than be tackle guard and be below average at both, right? That's why I've really appreciated Cornelius Lucas over the last few years with Washington, who, by the way, needed more snaps and specifically in 2023, but that's another conversation. But Graham's ability to play all three spots, arguably for me at a Pro Bowl type of level, I think, and how it's going to translate to the NFL, would be an excellent addition to this front five. Wherever Cliff Kingsbury and Adam Peters, Dan Quinn, believe that they want to slot in Barton. So again, 36 overall pick, Graham Barton, tackle, guard, center versatile from Duke. Wherever you want to put him, you slot him in and you play him. I think he's going to be sensational. But I think right there, you throw him at tackle, he's fine. You throw him at guard, fine. You want a new center, right? We saw Nick Gates last year. We saw a lot of Tyler Larson. There's going to be some changes there, especially in free agency with all the cap. Now, the cap is fluid. That that number changes almost weekly. But in the second round, get a guy that's versatile and a guy that can play all three spots at a very high level in Graham Barton. Now, four picks later, second round, 40th overall, Chop Robinson, edge rusher from Penn State, who I think could very easily be a first-round pick. He is the most explosive pass rusher for me in this class. He is not the most nuanced. He is not the strongest. He is not the best in the run. And he does not have the best inside-outside pass rush repertoire in this draft. But as far as explosiveness off of the line of scrimmage, getting off the ball and consistently forcing tackles to extend their kick step and overextend and get off balance and then beat them to the outside or stick that outside foot in the ground and work to the inside, that is Chop Robinson. Now, we know Washington has taken guys out of Alabama over the years. Now, we take guys right from, from Penn State. Take, take from that pipeline. They're the athletes that come out of there. We've seen, obviously, Jahan Dotson in round one. They brought in Mitchell Tinsley as UDFA last year. They drafted Shaka Tony, who didn't play this year, obviously, for violations. He should be back this year. We will see to get a chance off the edge. But if you get a guy like Chop Robinson, who's a first-round pedigree type of talent, explosive, explosive, explosive kid. Turn on the tape of Chop, the first minute or two of his tape, you're going to be impressed in what he can do off the edge. I think he's a starter from day one. I think he's a three-down guy from day one. 
he would immediately become Washington's top pass rusher off the edge. Because look, I don't see a guy like KJ Henry or Andre Jones Jr. or Casey Tuhill or Shaka Tony or any of those guys, F.A. Obata, threatening Chop Robinson for that top edge spot. So first three picks, Caleb Williams, Grant Barton, Chop Robinson, you got to get immediate contributors and you do that with two guys on offense in Williams and Barton and then you start to add some pass rushers with Chop Robinson. Now let's move into where you ultimately win Super Bowls. That's the ultimate goal. There's not a single team in football that heads into the year and says, ah, we just want to be average this year. We just want to maybe compete in the division and battle for the 12th overall pick. Every team is trying to reach the Lombardi Trophy. Teams that outplay expectations, like the Houston Texans this year, even though, for me, I did expect them to have a lot of success. And they did, and I'm glad they did. And they're going to be around for a long time. Or you're a team like Washington this year, to where you thought it was going to be better. You thought at least 500 was the floor with Ron Rivera. And then now you have the second overall pick after a crappy year and you're completely rebuilding from the bottom up and and from the top down, right? With ownership. But here in the third round, it's where you got to get guys that contribute and do multiple, multiple things on offense, defense, and can play special teams as well. And within the top 100 picks, Washington has got to hit on these guys. And for me, it starts with a guy like Roman Wilson. Now, for some people... You may think that why wide receiver? Why not a linebacker there, right? Why another, maybe an interior offensive lineman? Why not another corner? Hear me out. I think Roman Wilson is going to be a player in this draft that somebody gets, and maybe it's Washington, especially if they let Curtis Samuel go in free agency. And as deep as this wide receiver class is, Roman is a guy that is going to be so good for so long. It didn't matter that he was at Michigan. It didn't matter that he was at the Senior Bowl and in a neutral environment. He is tough as nails. He plays bigger than his frame. He can play in the slot. He can play in the perimeter. He'll play special teams for you. He can be a further extension of the run game on designated touches. He does everything well. He is not a 6'3 guy that's going to run 4-4. That is not Roman Wilson. But the nuances of the game, creating inside out, the ability to take it the distance on every single touch if you ask him to. He's not a burner. He's not a high 4-2, mid 4-3 guy. And by the way, as we move into this pre-draft process, be wary of the people out there that say, ah, many, I see high 4-2s, low 4-3s. Four 4-2s, four guys, are, are like Bigfoot. Everybody says they've seen them, but until you see it, you don't believe it, right? That's a 4-2 or a, a low 4-3 in this draft. If you're running that, that's fine. And there's, only, there's a few guys seemingly every year that do it, like DJ Turner last year from Michigan that was the fastest guy at the draft that ultimately went to the Bengals on day two and had a decent first year in Cincinnati. But that's not Roman Wilson. He's not a burner. But he understands how to separate at a multiplicity of levels. And that is what wins at the NFL level, especially in a Cliff Kingsbury offense to where it is a lot of crossers. Look back to the national championship game, Michigan against the Washington Huskies. Roman Wilson crossing route, crossing route, crossing route, over route. Then maybe a deep shot. That Michigan offense, look, big boys up front and they want to lean it on on Blake Corm and Donovan Edwards to run the ball. But when J.J. McCarthy dropped back, it was most of the time, if it wasn't to Roman Wilson, it was to Cornelius Johnson. And I absolutely love Roman's game. Seeing him in Mobile at the Senior Bowl was fantastic. And if Washington were to take a receiver in this area to add to that group. If Curtis Samuel is not here, Roman Wilson is the guy for me again in the third round 
at the 67th overall pick if he is there. I fully expect him to be a top 50 pick in this draft. I think he's an awesome football player and the team's going to get a hell of a player in him for a long, long time. Now we move into the fringe 100 area, right? Top 100. So third round, 100th overall selection, Jerrion Jones, corner from Florida State. So adding to that corner room, a guy that can play the nickel and play outside, I do think he'd actually going to live at nickel. So when I look at this Washington defensive backs room right now with Kendall Fuller as a free agent and Emmanuel Forbes coming into year two and a big year for Benjamin St. Just, is he going to be in Washington this year? We will see. I do expect him to be here. He's a guy that we've consistently expected a lot out of, and it's been average to below average at times. Then there's been times where he looks really damn good. So again, Jerrion Jones, corner from Florida State. I would have loved to see Florida State in the CFP this year. They were loaded on defense, whether it was him on the outside, UVA transfer, Fentrell Cypress at safety, or Jared Verse, and Braden Fisk within the middle with Kalen DeLoach and Tatum Bethune at linebacker. There were guys everywhere for this Florida State defense, but Jerrion Jones is long, he's strong, he's physical. The shrine tape of him this past couple weeks down in Frisco was sensational, working with open air to either shoulder. You look at these bigger guys and you ask them to play in the slot, and usually they don't have the foot quickness or redirection or the hips to turn and run and carry a guy and man up the seam, but Jerrion Jones does that. Not just the ability to reroute guys in the five-yard area, but also run with them down the field, get your eyes back and make a play on the football and utilize that strength and utilize the length as well down the field against a variety of skill sets. In today's game, guys, a lot of teams want to get in that little pre-snap motion, that cheetah motion to the outside. We saw Miami and San Francisco does a lot. Jerrion Jones can carry guys and do that or try, guy tries to get free releases right in the slot. You're not going to be able to get a free release on a guy like Jerry and Jones that can play inside the contact window. So a guy that I like his game a bunch. I thought he was excellent at Florida State, excellent at Shrine, and I think he's going to be a heck of a football player for a team moving forward. Moving into the fourth round, the beginning of the fourth round, the 102nd overall selection. So after taking Jerry and Jones at 100, Washington's right back on the board at 102. And I'm adding back to the interior offensive line. And that is with Cooper BB from Kansas State. Another guy that accepted an invite to the Senior Bowl did not show up there. But specifically, when I look at Cooper BB and this pick, I look at the structure of Cliff Kingsbury's offense. It's wider, more north-south offensive linemen. I don't want Cooper BB where he's pulling inside, pulling outside, and running around like we saw a lot in, of Washington's guards this year, whether it was Cosme or Sadiq Charles or Chris Paul, whoever it was within the middle. Cooper Beebe is north-south, blow your chin strap off, and take your lunch money. That is what Cooper Beebe is. And then at pass pro, he's a wall to get past, and he's just super, super physical and just strong as an ox. So the types of skill sets that I see Cliff Kingsbury adding to this offense along the front five is a guy like Cooper Beebe. Will he be there in the early portions of the fourth round? We will see. There's a lot more time to go, right? We got the combine, we got pro days, we got interviews, separate workouts. Boards are going to be shuffled. Could Cooper go in the top 70? Would I be surprised? No. Would he be there at 100 and be surprised? No, I would not. Because he is going to be, for me, a scheme-specific type of guy in a Cliff Kingsbury offense that values more of those heavier, wider type of guys that are those north-south downhill plowers for Brian Robinson to run right behind and then just sink those cleats in the ground, twist them in the dirt and sink that butt down, win the leverage point and pass pro and make it easier, make it easy on whoever is under center for Washington moving into these next few years. 
Now as we move into the back end of the draft, for some people, this is where, look, this is where the public, you guys out there, maybe if you guys are on Sunday, right, or Saturday, excuse me, the draft's on Thursday, this is where the attention starts to fade, right? Monday, or on Thursday nights, you got parties, and you're drinking, and you got wings, and you got pizza, and you're tuning into every pick. Second round, third round on Friday nights, you're, you're probably tuned into it a little bit. But then as you get into Saturday, guys start to mow the lawn and you're washing your car and you look at your phone and you get the notification as far as who is Washington drafted and you say, oh, it's this guy from this school. But if it's a school you don't recognize, you're saying, well, that pick's terrible. No. That's why I'm here, guys. I promise I'll take you every single step of the way for guys maybe you're unfamiliar with in this process. I promise I'll take you every step of the way. And we'll get through everybody. And we'll talk at least about every single prospect in this class that's eligible before we get to April. But in these rounds is where you get contributors. And every single year we see guys in the 5th, 6th, 7th, even UDFAs that can come in and compete for a team. Not just wear a uniform, but strap up in the final 53 on game day that are active and make an impact. So for me, that's what my focus was here in the 5th round. Washington's only got one fifth rounder, one sixth rounder, and one seventh rounder. Bunch of top 100 picks. Again, as I mentioned earlier, they're going to have to hit on. But as you get to these picks too, trying to get contributors. And this is what I did with my focus here, where I take linebacker Cedric Gray from North Carolina. If you guys were able to tune into my interview with Cedric, I posted that in my last episode. Feel free to tune into that. Oh, two episodes ago. Sorry, just posted the interview with Malik Washington, wide receiver from Virginia. Two episodes ago, I talked with Cedric. Very impressive young man. Was awesome seeing him run hash to hash and number to number at the Senior Bowl. I think it's a little bit of an underrated linebacker class. I know a lot of attention was put on Barrett Carter from Clemson returning to school or Danny Stutzman returning back to Oklahoma. But this linebacker class, for me, you can get a bunch of players that can absolutely play. Now, if you're not San Francisco, right, with Fred Warner or Dre Greenlaw, hopefully wishing quick rehab for him after that fluky injury in the Super Bowl. Or your Baltimore with Patrick Queen and Roquan Smith, two linebackers in the middle of the field, you'll see a lot of teams play with just one linebacker on the field. Now, if you're drafting Cedric Gray in the fifth round to come in and be your everyday linebacker, maybe there's some questions to be asked there. But if that's Washington's guy, then that's Washington's guy. Or if it's any other team, that's your guy, get your guy. And I will never fault anybody. That's why I tried to keep the Emmanuel Forbes selection in hindsight when he came off the board at number 16 last year ahead of a guy like Christian Gonzalez, my CB1 in the class, because look, it was Washington's guy. And I will never turn down a team for saying, I love this guy. I'm sold on this guy. We want him here. But of course, there's context with everything. I don't think if you take Cedric Gray here in the fifth round, I don't think he's there in the fifth round. But in this scenario, again, he was. So Adding him within this defense to where Jamin Davis is the only linebacker under contract for Washington this year, you bring in Cedric Gray to play on all three downs if you have to, or a rotational piece on long third and third and eight, third and nines to carry a running back on a wheel or a little angle out over the middle of the field or disrupt timing of a larger tight end within the contact window. Cedric Gray can do that. For, formerly played wide receiver in high school, so he's got a little bit of that understanding of the nuances of what wide receivers like to do, how they set up routes, which translates to how he covers running backs and tight ends. So again, in the fifth round here, I go Cedric Gray, tight end, or excuse me, linebacker from North Carolina. And with my next pick, 
This is where I go tight end. You guys have heard me talk about tight ends till my face is blue. Not even blue, dark purple. Because it's been frustrating to watch this group of guys over these last few years with Logan Thomas, John Bates, and Cole Turner. Do I think this guy is going to be here in the sixth round? No, I think he's probably going to be tight end three or tight end four in this draft behind Brock Bowers from Georgia and Jatavian Sanders from Texas. But who is going to, how is the board going to shake out? But if he's there in the sixth round, I'll take him in a heartbeat. And that is Jaheim Bell from Florida State. He made it look extremely easy. Another senior bowl guy. We know Washington prioritizes senior bowl guys every year. You think about Sam Howell. You think about Chris Paul. You think about all the names. Cole Turner, Federian Mathis, Brian Robinson. A lot of senior bowl guys on Washington's roster. And they're going to take a couple more, most likely, uh, in this year's draft. But Jaheim Bell, he can play the Y. I don't want him to make his living as a Y tight end with his hand in the dirt as a further extension of the offensive line. I think he can block. But you're drafting Jaheim Bell to be a F flex weapon in the slot on the perimeter. Designated touches if you have to. You can align him in the backfield as that H, that modern-day fullback if you want, and give him some touches. That is Jaheim Bell, South Carolina transfer, again, to Tallahassee within a loaded Tallahassee offense right for Florida State. I talked about the guys on defense, on offense with Jordan Travis under center and Trey Benson, who may be RB1 in this class, and Keon Coleman on the outside with Johnny Wilson, and then you got Jaheim Bell at tight end. Ridiculous amount of talent for the Florida State Seminoles this year in the ACC, and again, would have loved to see them under the national spotlight of the college football playoff, but... Now with Jaheim moving into the NFL, seeing him live just a few weeks ago, how he moves, he made it really easy over a bunch of safeties this week, or excuse me, last week in Mobile, and that's a guy that I want in my offense, not just to run five yards, turn around and fall forward, but get the ball in your hands at a multitude of levels and make one or two guys miss and turn a five-yard hitch into a 15-yard gain. That is Jaheim Bell. And then wrapping up, my selections here is in the seventh round. And when I look at guys late day three, I don't think this guy will be here again in the seventh round, but I'll say it again. In this simulation, he was. So I ran to the podium and took him. But we'll see what Washington wants to do with Cam Curl. And as important as Cam is for this defense playing at every single level, he's really the glue guy for this defense. Some of you out there may think it's Deron Payne, John Allen. But I think it's Cam Curl because of what he does, again, at a multitude of levels in the run game, stick his face in the mud, and then flipping and running, carrying tight ends, receivers, running backs. It does not freaking matter. You can send him off on a blitz. He's just a hell of a football player, and I would love to see him back again in the burgundy and gold. And everything I've heard, again, out of his camp is that 31 is expected to be back in Washington, and I do hope he is. But he's going to want his money, and deservedly so. But if he isn't back... And Washington wants to roll out guys like Derek Forrest and Percy Butler. I thought Percy did an okay job at times moving into in year two this past fall. But I'm going with Katan Oladapo from Oregon State here. Again, in the seventh round, the 223rd overall selection. A, a guy that can play all three levels and as well special teams. And I think that's a big thing with all three guys I just added post top 100, right? With 141... 141st overall selection, excuse me. Cedric Gray from North Carolina will play, play special teams for you if you need it. Jaheim Bell will do it as well. And then Oladapo from Oregon State. The Pac-12 was 
the best conference in all of college football this year. The now really extinct Pac-12 with teams now in the ACC and the Big Ten. They're everywhere. But Catan was, you could say, was the glue piece to that Oregon State defense as well. Again, I need guys that can play all three levels. I need guys that can take athletes down one-on-one in space and can cover wide receivers, tight ends, and running backs. Or I'm going to put him in the box and spy a Jalen Hurts or spy a Daniel Jones in New York if he is the future moving forward for the Giants or spy a guy like Kyler Murray if he wants to take off in Arizona. That is Katano Ladapo. And adding a guy late on day three like that, I think a couple other names to know in that similar type of body type and skill set, Adrian Taylor Demerson from Texas Tech with a hell of a week at the Shrine Bowl. I think he's also in that frame. Maybe even a guy like Mark Perry from TCU as far as a guy that lived high for TCU but also can play in the box a little bit. Just that athlete made a lot of plays for TCU in that 3-3-5 stack defense, which is sometimes tricky to evaluate. But just a couple other names there in that similar bucket of where look day three safeties, versatile contributors as, as where, again, Mark Perry from TCU, Dadrian Taylor Demerson from Texas Tech, and Katan Oladapo is where I went for Washington, again, late in the seventh round as their final pick to wrap it up. So all picks here, Caleb Williams, Graham Barton, Chop Robinson, Roman Wilson, Jerry and Jones, corner from Florida State, Cooper Beebe, guard from Kansas State, Cedric Gray from North Carolina, Jaheen Bell, flex weapon out of Florida State, and Katan Oladapo, a versatile defender, on defense, and on special teams from Oregon State. So that is my first mock draft, seven-round mock draft for Washington this year. We're going to have a couple more of these as we move into April. I'm not going to do a bunch of them. Not the biggest mock draft guy in the world, but as things start to figure themselves out with meetings and more conversations are had as we get to the combine and post-combine and pro days, I plan to be up at Penn State's Pro Day, potentially may scoot over to Pittsburgh and down to Maryland as well. A lot more conversations, guys, to be had, and boards are going to shuffle as we move in here to these next few months. We got two and a half months until this thing was 72 or 73 days, something like that, until we kick off in April. So a lot more business and work to be done. A lot of papers to be filed, if you will, on a lot of these prospects. Um, The film has been watched. There's, there's going to be no more guys strapping up and competing in this draft class. All those pre-draft showcases are done. But those workouts in, in t-shirt and shorts, people are going to be excited about the quarterback slinging around. you got these pro days where USC's is going to be broadcast on a national television station and Drake May and Jaden Daniels at LSU throwing to Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas. All that stuff is going to be all the spotlight. But really where my focus is, is what Washington does within their top 100 picks and then hitting on the guys post-top 100 to not only wear a uniform and steal a paycheck, but contribute in multiple phases of the game. Whether you're on offense and special teams or defense and special teams, you got to contribute. So, hope you guys enjoyed. I will have an episode, a couple more episodes out for you guys this week with prospect interviews. And a couple of hours going to release my interview with Zach Frazier, one of the premier centers in the 2024 draft class from West Virginia. And a bunch more interviews coming in the near future. So as always, appreciate you guys. You can find me on X at underscore Ryan Fowler if you don't follow me there already. Written, audio, video content at Bleacher Report and thedraftnetwork.com. And as always, appreciate you guys tuning in and I will talk to you very soon. So have a great rest of your week. I'm Ryan Fowler and this is Commanding the Huddle.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.